The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You know, Q-Ball, before I started hanging with you, I hardly ever went to jail. Not everywhere I go. I wonder what he's in for. Thinking. What do they do to you for that? Reconfig. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 8th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. About four shows back on Just Right 478, our November 10th broadcast... We read a letter from longtime Just Right listener Murray T., who lives out in Alberta, who asked us a question about certain political definitions, particularly in reference to how our correct definition of fascism, which places it on the left side of the political spectrum along with all of its other totalitarian brethren, is so out of sync with the definition of fascism being used by the educational establishment and those who continue to argue that fascism is on the extreme right of the spectrum. Well, after answering Murray's question on our November 10th show, we're not going to get into that issue today, but we received another most remarkable letter from Murray, only a small part of which I intend to share with our listeners today. We do intend to share the rest of Murray's letter on a future broadcast of our show, saving that for another discussion. And Murray, if you're listening, check out Just Right's homepage and click on the About button for a hint of where we'll be going with that, right, Robert? Mm But for now, I only want to share Murray's opening paragraph because it so well frames the theme of our presentation today. And Murray wrote, I just wanted to say thank you once again, guys. I thoroughly enjoyed this week's show. I've listened a couple of times now, shared some parts with my wife, shared on Facebook, and texted the link to a few friendlies. One big unexpected learning. How are things defined? What makes Webster the authority on definitions? Can we defend our definitions, and how do we verbally justify our scrutiny of the definitions of others? I need to ponder the concept, but I really loved that part. End quote. Well, ponder no more, Murray, because you could not possibly find a more literal and high-profile example of exactly that question in play than what we'll be discussing on the show today. You know how they, of- how, how they often say that truth is stranger than fiction? Well, the greater truth, I fear, is simply that It's no fiction that truth is a stranger to far too many people, particularly those entrusted to preserve and expand mankind's historical archive of knowledge and truth. But before we get into this horror story that is no fiction, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us around the world on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. And once you're there, you can access all of our social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. Well, Bob, today we're going to be talking about Jordan Peterson. Now, our listeners probably have heard the name because he's been written up in many of the newspapers uh, lately and uh, has had interviews with most of the major press and um, a lot of the uh, YouTuber, uh, YouTubers out there have, have interviewed him as well. You know, it's always a pleasure to discover truly great people who understand the fundamental causes 
behind the political issues of the day and is willing to stand up and refuse to participate in his own destruction. And Professor Jordan Peterson is such a person. A rare person indeed. Yeah. Jordan Peterson is a clinical personality psychologist at the University of Toronto. Now, a video he posted on his YouTube channel on September 27th has garnered worldwide attention. In that video, he says that he has had enough of political correctness, especially in regards to being compelled by his employer and Ontario and Canadian law to use made-up personal pronouns to prefer to people or refer to people whose subjective gender identity or gender expression is not that of their objective biological reality. Now here's Murray where we're going to get into things like definitions. Now some examples would be to use the plural pronoun they in reference to a single person who objects to the use of either he or she if he or she no longer identifies as either a man or a woman. That is to say, if a man in reality believes that he's really a woman, then rather than say, Bob is a man, he likes sports, you would say, Bob is a man, they like sports. Using the plural to refer now to a singular. Uh, But that's only if that particular individual doesn't mind they. He might want something of another 39 options. Oh yes, and there are other options too. Yeah, there's there are more uh, there are other more contrived personal pronouns to satisfy these kind of people. For example, in place of he, him, his, himself, they have invented per per pers per self or they ver vis ver self. <laughs> like a bunch of three year olds who just discovered letters and, and numbers. I don't know. It is um, it is bizarre to say the least. It's, a, it's no wonder that a personality psychologist such as Peterson would get embroiled in this kind of thing because this is talking about personality, for sure, clinical personality. In Ontario, the Ontario Human Rights Code applies to his behavior as a professor. Now, from the uh, Ontario Human Rights Code webpage, we get this, quote, Under the Ontario Human Rights Code, People are protected from discrimination and harassment because of gender identity and gender expression in employment, housing, facilities and services, contracts and membership in unions, trade or professional associations, unquote. Now, federally, the Canadian Parliament is considering including gender identity and gender expression in Canadian Human Rights Act and in the criminal code as well, making it against the law, a crime to discriminate on the grounds of gender, identity, and gender expression. By Professor Peterson's estimation, his video and his expressed commitment not to comply with any compulsion to use words he does not wish to use is breaking the law, which could result in him being fined. He said that um, that he would refuse any such fine, if that comes down to it, and as a result, he could very well be imprisoned, in which case he said he would go on a hunger strike. Now, the University of Toronto Human Resources Department has issued two letters of warning to Professor Peterson regarding his statements and the video, and his teaching status at that institution is now in jeopardy. He doesn't know if he's going to be back teaching in January. He went to his dean, who refused to support him in his statements that should, uh, that should, if it leads to a human rights tribunal or a court of law, they will not support him. There was a line Peterson stated in his video which struck me. He said, Probably making this video itself is illegal. 
It reminded me of the opening paragraph in Ayn Rand's Anthem. Quote, It is a sin to write this. It is a sin to think words no others think and to put them down upon a paper no others are to see. It is base and evil. It is as if we were speaking alone to no ears but our own. And we know well that there is no transgression blacker than to do or think alone. We have broken the laws. The laws say that man may not write unless the council of vocations bid them so. May we be forgiven. Unquote. It is also reminiscent of the themes in George Orwell's 1984 and Yevgeny Zamyatin's We, all dealing with books that talk about the use of words, referring, for example, to people as I, mm-hmm. or um, not using the word ego in the case of Anthem. From viewing lengthy interviews with Professor Peterson, I judge him to be an extremely intelligent man who has drawn a line in the sand. His refusal to be compelled to use words he does not wish to use is the correct one. Peterson's intellectual course of life is the reason for his refusal. He studied political science and psychology, concentrating in religious beliefs and ideologies, particularly the ideologies under Hitler's Germany and the Soviet Union. He knows where this compulsion of speech is leading, and he's taking a courageous stand for freedom. To get an idea of the kinds of arguments Professor Peterson is up um, refuting, um, let's give a listen to a discussion he participated in on TVO's The Agenda, with Steve Paikin as host and guests Mary Rogan and Nicholas Matt. What what is it you find offensive about this legislation? Well, fundamentally, there, there were two things that really bothered me, although there have been other things I've thought about since. One was that I was being asked, as everyone is, to use a certain set of words that I think are the constructions of people who have a political ideology that I don't believe in and that I also regard as, as dangerous. What are those words? Those are the made-up words to re- that, that people now describe as, um, as gender-neutral. And so, to me, they're, 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 they're an attempt to control language and... and in a direction that isn't happening organically. It's not happening naturally. People aren't picking up these words in the typical way that new words are picked up, but by force and by fiat. And I would say by force because there's legislative power behind them. So and I don't so like these made-up words, Z and Zer and that sort of okay, thing. Okay, what about, they're not all made-up words, quote-unquote made-up yeah. words. For example, they is one of them. Yeah, to, but we, to speak to an individual yes, as they. Right, but we can't dispense with the distinction between singular and plural. I mean, I know that the advocates of that particular approach say that they has been used forever as a singular, and that's actually not correct. It's used as a singular in very exceptional circumstances, like... If your child wishes to bring a book to school, they're welcome to do so. But That's just grammatically incorrect. Well, it is also, there's some debate about that, because it is, they is used like that sometimes. But it's never been used as a singular replacement for he or she. And so it's not, it's not a tenable solution. And that's the best of the solutions. The use of non-traditional pronouns, where are you on that? I, I think people should be able to say how they want to be addressed. I do believe that. Um, in my own experience in writing the Walrus piece, you know, I began at one place and ended at another. Um, and I'll let everyone pay their $7 to find out how <laughs> they can buy the magazine. But, but I think that for me, you know, identifying as male at a, a very late stage in my life, um, I, don't have, 
I didn't have a lot of attachment to the pronoun she. You, you could have said giraffe. I had found a way at a very early age not to even hear that word. It, it meant nothing to me. Um, so I didn't dive into the pronoun he. Um, so if I were going to refer to you, though, in the third they, person, you they. would want me to call you they? Yes. Okay. Because that encapsulates what? I think it reflects where I am right now. I, 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 because of my lived experience, you know, five decades as, as being identified, um, certainly by the world, as female, some of the time, not all of the time, um, my lived experience was largely female. Um, and I personally am not sort of ready to jump in wholly into having people call me he, but I'm certainly far enough along in terms of, you know, how I feel internally that I don't want to be called she. Understood. Could I speak to the campus climate about this? Because I don't, uh, I don't agree with why Dr. Peterson has been asked to stop abusing students on campus. To stop doing what? Abusing students. I see. And other members of our learning community who do deserve respect and do deserve to be able to work and learn and contribute to society in a place where if they are physically assaulted, if they are... Um, the assault so far came from the social justice warriors who are at this free speech rally, and almost two million people have this watched is not those accurate. so far. This is not accurate. Well, you can look you at the videos yourself. Because people have been making complaints about your behavior. Yes, I understand that. Yes. That, and so we're seeing a greater opportunity here, for social justice happening Nick, that many be, people won't understand. Nick, can I be clear on something? You, you've accused him of abusing students by not using the pronouns they want to be addressed That's by. That's how I see it, absolutely. That is tantamount to abuse in your view. Absolutely. Many, many global documents, many how organizations. About violence? Is it tantamount to violence? Yes, How about absolutely. hate speech? Is it tantamount to yes, hate speech? Yes, of course. It's hate speech Fine, to tell someone that you won't refer to them as a in a way that, they, uh, that recognizes their humanity and dignity. You know, somebody once said that regarding this issue, you, you just can't make this stuff up. And I have to laugh, Conrad Black wrote an article uh, regarding that very video we just listened to with Steve Pakin. He said, I have just endured the sobering experience of watching the always very intelligent and professional Steve Pakin cheer a panel about the transgender controversy that centers on U of T professor Dr. Jordan Peterson. And that's exactly the word. It was an endurance yes. to see that kind of um, I, I, unintellectual I <laughs> discussion. Bob, your thoughts on that? Well, I have more to say on, on um, Conrad Black's commentary a little later on in the show. But, you know, the fact that it's even gotten this far, I think, is a miracle in itself. And for those who think that this is a new phenomenon, stay tuned because you're going to find out this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for years. And it's just coming, bubbling to the, to, the, to the surface now where almost everybody can see it, where it's been under the surface for such a long, long time. You remember back, oh, I don't know if it was the 70s now, where the word Ms. M.S. started yes. to come into vogue. More or less naturally, I mean, it wasn't a compulsion on any law or any government to say the word Ms. People just said, you know, oh, yes, hello, Mrs. Smith. And it says Ms. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Ms. Smith. Well, hello, Ms. Smith. And people accepted that kind of a change. Precisely. Naturally. Barbara Kay, in fact, wrote on that very point oh, on she? November 9th. She said, uh, Ms. took hold organically because it filled an objective, commonly perceived social gap. Most important. Nobody was forced to use it. Exactly. I'd, I'd never heard of that article. Yeah, That's I, great. I yeah. just found it this morning. I'll... Contrast that to what um, is happening now, where it is now against the law, not to use these so-called preferred pronouns. Yeah. Anyway, 
Dr. Peterson has on his personal website a suggested reading list. And um, just go down some of the list here. It's a smorgasbord of philosophy and politics from uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Fyodor Dostoevsky, George Orwell, Aldous Huxley, and uh, the Gulag Archipelago by by, um, Solzhenitsyn. Now, the history of the Soviet Union is, um, you know, in the, in the Gulag Archipelago by um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, is spread out in three volumes. And that history being a uh, particular area of interest for, for Dr. Peterson. Now, if anyone is familiar with that particular work, the Gulag Archipelago, you'll recall that Solzhenitsyn begins by describing in detail the reactions of people who were being arrested by Stalin's state police. And they were being arrested in the millions. Everybody knew somebody who was arrested. The reaction was one of mild disbelief from those who knew that they had not done anything wrong to mild disbelief and actually relief from those who knew that they had done something wrong. Solzhenitsyn likened these people to rabbits and called them as such. He also singled out the man on the street who would witness these arrests and yet would keep silent. He called them rabbits as well. Solzhenitsyn was suggesting that Stalin's regime captured and stayed in power because of the inability of people to properly identify what was being done to them and to refuse to go along with it, partially out of the ignorance because they didn't know what was going on. Peterson apparently refuses to be a rabbit. He refuses to go along with the state police and the law of the land when that law is incrementally destroying the rights and freedoms of the people. In listening to his interviews, I took away two important lessons. One, the way that the tyrants gain and maintain power is incrementally, or step by tiny step. And two, the best way to wrest control from such tyrants is to refuse them their power over you. You can see from Dr. Peterson's demeanor during all of his interviews that he is taking this issue very seriously. He knows, as a student of history, where the actions of our lawmakers are taking us. He knows, as a student of philosophy, where the ideas of the social justice warriors are taking us. Both the actions of our political leaders and the ideas of the left-wing intelligentsia are taking us towards tyranny, and he knows it. They are taking us step by step down a road to arbitrary arrest and eventual imprisonment for saying the wrong thing against the wrong person. The death camps, the forced labor camps, the open pit graves, and the firing squads are memories which are fading in the consciousness of people. There are very few people who are alive today who can say that they actually witnessed the atrocities of Stalin and Hitler firsthand. The history of these regimes is no longer being taught in schools. The memory fades, and yet it was only one lifetime ago, or a hundred years, next year by the way, that the great October Socialist Revolution in Russia took place, a scant 100 years. And yesterday, December 7th, was the anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which brought the United States into World War II. And, you know, if we forget the causes for these upheavals and the tens of millions who were murdered in the name of socialism, Peterson remembers... He can see quite plainly that the legislation in Ontario and Canada is one of those small steps we've taken down the road to yet another October revolution. He's not wrong. 
You'll recall on last week's show I made mention of how Pierre Trudeau incrementally tried to dismantle Canada's ties to our British heritage. Witness today his son's attempt to tear apart the very fabric of our parliamentary-style system of government with the promotion of proportional representation, a system which would effectively bar an individual from being elected to Parliament. That's right. Instead, we would have party insiders determining who would be members of Parliament based on the percentage of the vote each party gets in an election, not individuals. And with all four political parties in our federal Parliament so closely aligned ideologically, we are quickly approaching the day when we can say that there is only one party possessing four factions in Canada, the Liberal Socialists, the Conservative Socialists, the New Democratic Socialists, and the Green Socialists. Do you see this common thread there? Uh, green. <laughs> <laughs> Socialist, Bob. Wake up, come on. <laughs> if it doesn't have it already, it is headed to a one-party state, a socialist party. I believe Ontario is already there, by the way. We're already there. There's virtually no fundamental difference in political ideology and in policy in Ontario between the ruling liberals, the opposition progressive conservatives, and the New Democrats. One is only to examine the policies all three parties have made over the past 50 years to see how we in Ontario have gone step by step down the road to the left. Such a road is only one final destination. Peterson's grave persona in his television interviews and his YouTube interviews since this issue has exploded tells me that he knows, he understands exactly what's at stake. He has said, quote, all of this scares me. The law scares me. The doctrine behind the law scares me. The buy-in by organizational administrators scares me. The people behind the doctrines scare me, unquote. Now, back to Conrad Black, his article in the National Post posted on um, December 2nd, Peterson was quite thankful for the support by Black, and it was a very supportive um, article. Peterson published on YouTube, however, a video expressing his concern that Black thought that Peterson's statement about refusing to pay any possible fine imposed by any human rights commission and threatening to go on a hunger strike if imprisoned was, quote, an unjustified hypothetical escalation, unquote. I share Peterson's belief that his approach is reasonable and is not unjustified. You have to draw the line somewhere. There has to be a line. Where are you going to draw it? We do not want to be a nation of rabbits. In a lengthy interview published December 1st at uh, c2cjournal.ca, that's the, the letter C and the number 2 and then the letter C, journal.ca, Peterson had this to say about the seriousness of his situation, quoting, Part of the reason I got embroiled in this gender identity controversy was because of what I know about how things went wrong in the Soviet Union. Many of the doctrines that underlie the legislation that I've been objecting to share structural similarities with the Marxist ideas that drove Soviet communism. The thing I object to the most was the insistence that people use these made-up words like Z and Zer that are the construction of authoritarians. There isn't a hope in hell that I'm going to use their language because I know where that leads, unquote. Now, later on in the interview, he addresses why nobody in the Conservative Party of Canada are opposing Bill C-16 and why almost half of them voted in favor of it. Quote, Not only that, says Peterson, isn't there a leadership convention right now? Have any of the candidates commented 
on any of this? No. Why not? Because they're afraid. I think the fact that no one's commented on it is an indication of how, even for conservatives, especially in Canada, this demand for orthodoxy has gone so far that even conservatives are afraid to be conservative. Unquote. I, I agree. There's fear there. There's a fear not only amongst members of the Conservative Party of Canada, but also amongst the business elite, the university deans, teachers in our grade schools, in our high schools, journalists, newspaper editorialists, and even members of the public at large. You can't go against these people because you're going to be called uh, discriminatory, prejudiced, racist, the same old uh, slurs that the left have conjured up. But I'd also say that while many are afraid to speak out against such violations of our right to free speech, just as many share the views of the left-wing ideologues and authoritarians who crafted the laws and wish to stifle free speech. There's a segment who are afraid. There's a segment who are the authoritarians. There's a lot of people out there who believe this stuff. We're becoming a nation of rabbits. It is the result of Marxists infiltrating our schools and our universities. Jordan Peterson knows this and has even called for a drastic limitation of funding for universities in the hope, perhaps, of having them decide to get rid of most of the left-wing dominated departments such as women's studies or gender studies or sociology and focusing on the reality-oriented departments such as science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Ironically, here is the former Harvard University professor advocating that parents put their children in trade schools rather than university. And I think he's on the right track. Now, recorded near the end of November, this is but a tiny sample of a three-hour timeless interview featuring Dr. Peterson in conversation with Joe Rogan on an incredible array of themes and topics. From the Joe Rogan Experience number 877 on YouTube, which I heartily recommend watching in its entirety. Definitely. So, so I didn't expect any support from my, from my colleagues. And, and it isn't that I don't care if I got it, but it's, it's, in some sense it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to me because my goal was I'm not saying those goddamn pronouns. And the reason I'm not saying them is because they're made up by left-wing ideologues. And I don't like left-wing ideology. I don't like ideology, period. And I know where corruption of speech leads. And I'm not going there. And, you know, one of the things I tried to learn when I was taking apart what happened in Auschwitz and trying to put myself in the position of an Auschwitz camp guard, which, by the way, you can do if you use your imagination a bit. I wouldn't call it exactly the world's most pleasant meditative experience but you can call up parts of yourself that would be capable of taking someone who just got off a transport train and having them carry a hundred pound sack of wet salt from one side of the camp compound to the other and back you can conjure that part of yourself up if you want and that'll teach you something about what you're like people don't do it because it's too frightening but I know perfectly well that I could do that sort of thing and so once I learned that I could do that sort of thing, and maybe that I could even enjoy it, I thought, okay, fine, I get it. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to live so that if that opportunity was presented to me, I wouldn't take it. And I think that's the lesson that people need to learn from the 20th century. It's like, that's what human beings did, okay? Well, we're all human, okay? So how is it that we should live so that we don't do that again? 
Well, part of that is to try to say the truth, no matter what, because the alternative is worse, and it is worse. The truth, no matter what, and that is the real problem that you see with being forced into using these made-up pronouns. Yeah, absolutely. It's my language. I'll take responsibility for what I say. I am not saying your words. And being compelled to say your words by law. Well, that's, that, 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 makes it, that, that takes it past the point of absurdity to the point of tyranny, in, in my estimation. And, I, and I've seen some criticisms where people are saying, you know, he's talking about this, but really he's grandstanding because no one's doing anything legally. But oh, yeah, the potential right. exists. Oh, that's such rubbish. But that they is wouldn't have one changed of the, the criminals. Yes, they wouldn't have changed the damn criminal. They put it in the hate speech category and altered the criminal code. It's as simple as that. And then you could say, well, no, we didn't really mean it. It's like, oh, yeah, you did. You really meant it. Two of the social justice warriors that have debated me in the last two months accused me directly of hate speech. All I had to do was poke them a tiny bit, and they came right out with it. And then the university's legal team reviewed everything I said carefully, believe me, and they decided that, oh, it was not only illegal to not use these compelled pronouns, it was probably illegal to make a video saying that I wouldn't use them. Because otherwise, why would they write me a warning letter and tell me that I violated university policy on the Ontario Human Rights Act? Think have, they did that lightly? Have they acted on this at all? Is there? A well, they won't. No. Well, they've acted in that they sent me two warning right. letters and told me to stop talking. And but you the, don't. I, the idea that um, I was going to be teaching in January again because I teach all my undergraduate courses from January to May. That was on the table, and I think the only reason that it hasn't happened, one of the reasons it hasn't happened, and I'm not attributing nothing but malevolence to the university administration because obviously it's very complicated and they did agree to host the debate for example but the idea that I wouldn't be teaching in January and, and still might not be is, is by no means that was a perfectly plausible outcome and had this not caused a firestorm much of which has emerged in support of me then I would say there was a 50-50 chance that I would have had my teaching privileges revoked. It's happened to other professors. So the idea that I'm making it, uh, like that this is a tempest in a teapot, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Why do you change the criminal code then? And why do you put it under the hate speech laws? Exactly. So, no, doesn't wash. You here to let me out? Not to let you out, Finn. To set you free. <laughs> you cops, man. What's that supposed to mean? Set me free. The truth, Finn. The truth sets you free. I've been looking for it all night. I finally found it. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to all our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support, access our social media links, or download our timeless past broadcasts, all free, all the time. Now, I've been up many a night pondering the truth myself, Robert, though of course the real challenge is in considering how one arrives at 
and objective truth. And the how is so simple that the fact that this isn't being taught as a fundamental in all our educational institutions is suspect, to say the least. I would cite to everyone a, a book that should be in every curriculum is Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology, written by Ayn Rand. And it basically outlines this entire debate and all the issues behind it and the solution to it. And bear in mind that this was written some 40 to 50 years ago, and that today's pattern of irrationality, such as we've been discussing today, is nothing new. And I quote from Ayn Rand's Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology, quote, Propositions consist of words, and the question of how a series of sounds unrelated to the facts of reality can produce a factual proposition or establish a criterion of discrimination between truth and falsehood is a question not worth debating, end quote. Or in other words, if your words don't relate to reality, then there's no way to even be able to have a discussion about what is true or false. Now, get this. Again, remember, this was written four years ago not just last week, about the plight of Dr. Peterson. Quote, Nor can it be debated by means of inarticulate sounds that switch meanings at the whim of any speaker's mood, stupor, or expedience of a given moment. But the results of that notion can be observed in university classrooms, in the offices of psychiatrists, or on the front pages of today's newspapers. End quote. Or on the Steve Pakin show that we sampled earlier. It's just amazing how this pattern has continued. Rand recognized it perfectly back then, identified it right to the bone. And she says, and this is the punchline of the whole show, this is what truth is. Truth is the product of the recognition of the facts of reality. One sentence. There you go. Man identifies and integrates the facts of reality by means of concepts. He retains concepts in his mind by means of definitions. He organizes concepts into propositions, and the truth or falsehood of his propositions rest not only on their relation to the facts, he asserts, but also on the truth or falsehoods of, of the definitions of the concepts he uses to assert them, which rests on the truth or falsehood of his designations of essential characteristics. What is necessary is a knowledge of the rules by which the definitions can be formulated, and what is urgently necessary is a clear grasp of that dividing line beyond which ostensive definitions are no longer sufficient. That dividing line begins at the point when a man uses words with the feeling, I kind of know what I mean, end quote. Yeah, that's all we were hearing, right? Most people have no grasp of that line and no inkling of the necessity to grasp it. Well, Dr. Peterson does. And the disastrous, paralyzing, stullifying consequences are the greatest single cause of mankind's intellectual erosion, end quote. Now, that's a remarkable and powerful observation. Clearly, Rand knew exactly what she was talking about and saw the same things happening on the universities in her day as is happening today. And, she, and, and just another thing she tosses in there, she says, when in doubt about the meaning or the definition of a concept, the best method of clarification is to look for its reference, to ask oneself what fact or facts of reality gave rise to this concept, what distinguishes it from other concepts, end quote. And of course, a feeling is not a fact. Remember from that interview with Steve Pakin, 
that the guests were basically saying, "Today I feel like a woman," and it's so subjective. Today I feel like a woman, so therefore you must call me they. Right. You know, and tomorrow I may feel like a man again. It's the whims that Ayn Rand is referring to. Precisely. Misusing definitions based on subjectivity rather than objectivity. I just wanted to point out, too, that this is not just happening to Dr. Peterson. This is from the November 29th National Post. Professor's walkout sparks outcry, accused of racism and misogynoir by Christy Black (laughs) Blatchford. Here's another one for you. Yeah, tell me about it. Quote, the director of Ryerson University School of Social Work has stepped down in a hue and cry that he committed a violent act of anti-blackness, misogyny, and misogynoir, a newish term for misogyny directed at black women, by walking out of an anti-racism meeting last month. Dr. Henry Parada will remain at the school as a teacher and researcher, says a recent email to students from Dr. Lisa Barnoff, Dean of the Faculty of Community Services that includes social work. But the incident that sparked the outcry appears to have led to Parada's quitting the director's job on November 16th. It actually occurred October 27th on the downtown Toronto University campus. According to the Black Liberation Collective, Ryerson branch, Parada walked out of the meeting, quote, at a time when black folks were giving praise to a young black woman professor at a critical and vulnerable time, end quote. According to several screeds on the BLC Facebook page, his actions, quote, perpetrate anti-black racism, indicated by you do not value anti-black racism scholarship, black women, black educators or education, black experience, black life, and ultimately black students. You chose to violently disrupt the speaker and the space. The letter was signed, quote, in rage, solidarity, and kindness by unnamed, quote, concerned students, the Social Work Student Union, the Ryerson Feminist Collective, and the United Black Students at Ryerson, end quote. Well, I won't bother to read any more from that particular account, but you can see where that's going. How Orwellian? Beyond Orwellian. Every fascist, communist, tyrannical, racist collective name you could conjure up to make it loud and clear, this is... This is Irrational, dysfunctional left-wing ideology through and through. That's all we're getting. And, and you know, misogynoir. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, actually, no. Unreally. And that's, the whole, that's their whole point. Their ideas are as unreal as they are. Certainly in the sense of how they say they portray, or how they say they see themselves, how they portray themselves as perpetual victims of racism based on people not wanting to be forced to associate with them. It's, it's almost, it's laughable. You know, I have to, my, I have sympathies for the uh, professor who were, walked out. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, some people may have called him a coward, you know, and, and there may have been that. I don't know, maybe out of fear that he is a coward. But I, I'd like to think maybe he's a John Galt. You know, John, quite Galt walk, John Galt walked away when things became absolutely intolerable and he would no longer work in a situation in the factory um, that he was well, working in as an engineer. He walked away. These people shouldn't have to walk away. The other people should be kicked out. The other people should be in prison they for should, a lot of yeah, what they're doing. I, I think so too. Because you know, instead of freedom of association, all these groups favor forced association as well as out-and-out censorship. I find them all offensive to the core. And for that reason, find myself in entire sympathy with Jordan Peterson, whose incredible sense of courage and principle are what have earned him both my admiration and my support. Playing the victim is not for him. He wouldn't allow himself to be reconfigured, (laughs) as our sliders opener dramatized today. Concepts are not and cannot be arbitrary. Values are not and cannot be arbitrary. 
reality will not permit it. To discover real concepts and real values, reality demands the truth. Life is suffering, and suffering can make you resentful, murderous, and then genocidal if you take it far enough. So you need an antidote to suffering, and maybe, you know, you could think, well, I'll build walls of luxury around myself, and that'll protect me from the suffering. It's like, well, good luck with that, because that isn't going to work. And maybe you could build a delusion and live inside that, but that's going to fall apart. Well, what is there that helps you fight against suffering? That's easy. That's the truth. The truth is the antidote to suffering. And the reason for that is because the truth puts reality behind you so that you can face the reality that's coming straight at you without becoming weak and degenerating and becoming resentful and, and wishing for the destruction of being. Because that's the final hell. The final hell is your soul wishing for the destruction of everything because it's too painful and you're too bitter. And that happens to people all the time. Now, as a person who is someone who's extremely critical of ideologies, a lot of people would think it's a contradiction for you to embrace religion, because religion being the biggest, ideology, the oldest ideology Ideology of all. is a parasite on religious substructures. You can't... Look, we could go back to the Harry Potter example. That's a good example. I mean, J.K. Rowling had kids reading, like, 400-page books, right? She could fill a stadium when she was reading. Why? Is because she got the archetypes right. She got the religious sub-narratives correct. They're not ideologies. Ideologies work because an ideology is a parasite on top of a religious substructure. And a religious, a religious narrative has, has a particular set of characteristics. It's very balanced. So, for example, there's the feminist idea of the patriarchy. Well, the religious idea of society has an evil patriarchy notion built into it. That would be the dying king, the once great dying king. You see this in the Egyptian story of Osiris, for example, who's eventually chopped up by his evil brother. You see it in the Lion King with, uh, with uh, Mufasa and uh, Simba's, Simba's father and Simba's evil, evil uncle. Those are the two representatives of the patriarchy, the wise king and the tyrannical king. In a religious story, properly set up archetypal story, there's, there's the natural world, the chaotic world, there's a positive element and a negative element. There's the social world, there's the wise king and the tyrannical king, and there's the individual world, and that's the, the adversary and the hero. There's always a positive and a negative at each level, and it stops it from being an oversimplification, because it says to you, well, of course, the bloody society is an oppressive patriarchy, but it's also the wise father that has taught you to speak every word you know. It's like, you don't get to say only this part of the story without having gratitude for this part of the story. And it's true at, at each level of the representation, a properly balanced story is, ha, has got the balance between positive and negative always correct. Is that in, in many ways like a lot of people who are anti-Western capitalism are also the only they will find that capitalism and Western capitalism in particular is the only culture that has embraced the acceptance of people yeah, right. like transgender people, people who are gay, people who are marginalized. Uh, I mean, Western capitalist society is one of the very few cultures that openly abhors racism. Right, right, right. Well, and these people are anti-capitalist on their iPhones. 
<laughs> right, you don't get to do that. Right, it's it's a performative contradiction. That's so that's so important. Yeah, they're on their iPhones while they're flying. Yeah. Yeah, it's while like well, I'm anti-capitalist. It's like, well, actually, no, you're not. You're just deeply confused. Well, it's just so strange that these sort of courses and these sort of ide ideologies are thriving in universities. And it's really disconcerting to someone who has children. Mm -hmm. And you know that your children are going to go there and they're going to be exposed to trade to these ideas. School. You know, I think, I think that... Wow. I think A that guy the used to teach at Harvard just says, send them to trade school. I think the universities... <laughs> I, I think the universities... I think you can make a reasonable case that the universities do more harm than good now. I wow. hate to say that. Well, there's also, this is a strange time where access to information is so incredibly easy. You can get, you could educate yourself right. seemingly endlessly online um, and with books and just, there's so much information available. This is not the 1930s. This, it's yeah. not a time where it was difficult to get an education outside of a Yeah, university. well, the university, the universities may have, or the university, which is like the repository of human wisdom and the attempt to expand that may have already moved outside the universities. You know, just because an institution calls itself a university doesn't mean it is. And m many disciplines have turned into ideological factories. And so where's the university? I mean, the university is wherever, where anyone wants to learn about their culture and where anyone wants to expand the domain of human competence. And a lot of that's happening online now. So maybe that's the future. The only thing the universities have now, I think, that, that people can't get elsewhere is accreditation. But they're doing everything they can as fast as possible to make their accreditation valueless anyways. So, yeah, it's really, it's, yeah. It's a terrible thing to say that the universities may do more harm than good. And, and I haven't come to that conclusion lightly. Well, there's and I also, hate to say it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you do. Earlier in the show when we heard one of the quote-unquote they voices <laughs> featured on the Steve Pakin show, think about the problem I'm having right now because we're working in audio alone. The uh, <clears throat> male they person's voice, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure I'm abusing someone here by saying male in reference to a voice because there is two voices there, a male and a female, and they both call themselves they. So how do I distinguish between them? Can I say male, male, male voice and female voice if I only have their voices to go by? That's the question, can you, isn't it? Can, can you, well, can you see the problem already, how the language and our ability to communicate and even talk about these people is completely corrupted? Yes, totally. And, and corrupt is the right word. That's the intent, by the way. Exactly. It's, it's, to, it's, to, it's to make it so it's impossible for you to think. And to communicate. And to communicate so that they can get you. And you cannot allow it. These people are criminal. You know, does fiction ever get as unreal as those poor lost souls who cannot even refer to themselves in any consistent way? I mean, at the end, uh, you, you heard the male guy, he said, um, quote, it is abuse, violence, and hate speech to tell someone you won't refer to them as a, and then he stopped himself, and he went, um, um, in a way that recognizes their humanity and dignity. He even didn't know what he could call the other people because he had to have their permission, right? He didn't know who's calling who what on what day of the week and when, right? It's so ridiculous. By That's the how way, unreal it is. Uh, in that interview with Joe, um, with uh, Steve Pakin, yeah. rather, there was um, another guest yeah. who appeared um, on the video. And she was um, a very intelligent and very reasonable, by the way. So if you want to watch yeah. that video, we didn't play it on the clips here, but um, she was a treat to watch.
so amazing to watch these folks who can't even identify themselves and yet would fine and punish and label others as racist for being unable to even follow their irrational and dysfunctional thinking patterns. You, you know, that's the whole point. These are unhealthy, sick people, and I'm sorry if you think that's cruel or unfair. Their disease is a political one, and it's, a, it's infected the body politic. And those who seek to elevate their sickness into a political right, I, I'm sorry, they're evil. They want to have their cake and eat it too. On the one hand, they insist on being accepted and integrated into the rest of society. On the other hand, everything they do is hostile to that society and makes them more disenfranchised than ever before. The patriarchy is the enemy. Uh, someone please help these people before they do more harm to themselves and to others. Finding themselves naturally unable to articulate the ideas they do not have, and they don't have ideas because they don't have definitions that relate to reality, so they haven't got any ideas to relate. So they invent words, and not, not merely as literary weapons, but as literal weapons backed by law. After all, when persuasion fails, just use force, and that's the calling card of all leftist ideologies, hence social justice warriors, the warrior being what replaces any attempt at formulating ideas and attempting to earn consent or a consensus by persuasion. Just use force. Theirs is an, an out-and-out -out battle for injustice. Social justice means individual injustice. Get it straight. Had I been sitting in that room with Steve Pakin and his dysfunctional, nondescript persons of indeterminate gender identities and indeterminate emotional stability, I would have told him exactly what I think of them. What they're doing is unconscionable and should be criminal, and I certainly wouldn't have allowed any attacks on me. I would have, I would have started accusing them of attacking me and violating my rights and shame on our legislators and politicians for their lack of shame in this. This is ridiculous that it should go this far. In fact, they're supporting it. Now, I wanted to refer as well to Conrad Black's support of Jordan Peterson's article that you referred to, where he just said he just endured the sobering experience <laughs> of listening to those people. He said a few other things that caught my attention. The words Z for he and she and zir, that's, they're spelled Z-E and Z-I-R, in place of his or him are the sticking points. But what is accumulating behind these imbecilic distinctions is quite sinister. And sinister is the right word, because sinister is a euphemism for left-wing thinking. There, there were these quotes here. As if to assure the least possibility of a quiet end to this preposterous issue, Dr. Peterson has declared he will not pay a fine and, if imprisoned for not paying it, would embark on a hunger strike. While my sympathies are with Dr. Peterson, this is an unjustified hypothetical escalation. If it came to that, the authorities would attach his bank account or his income and collect the fine in that manner rather than imprisoning him and provoking a hunger strike. Dr. Peterson's approach is so inflexible and so entirely righteous without much using the powerful weapon of ridicule that's available to him, he may not attract the full range of support the virtue of his arguments and his personal courage deserves. And then he points out that all people must be treated with respect equally. But there are only two genders, two sexes, our species and all other mammals are gender binary. All people may state their sex, if, and if that is contrary to their physical appearances, that remains their right. But no individual or group has a right to invent a new vocabulary and a new co-equal gender because of a state of ambivalence or confusion about which sex they are. 
He says, about six months ago, I wrote a column in this space about the acceptance by the Supreme Court of Canada to hear an appeal of judgments from well-reasoned local courts, a request from a British Columbia band of native people numbering 900 who claimed that 25 years of consultation was constitutionally inadequate over a proposed ski area that an elder of their band was supernaturally advised and after a lapse of some years told his people would drive off the spirit of the grizzly bear that was central to the religion of the band. I concluded the column with the shabby polemical device that I only employ rarely, a rhetorical question. In this case, are we all mad? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently a lot of us are. Boy, I quite agree with Mr. Black's overall take on the recognized madness and the injustice driving the pronoun and gender non-debate, but I, I strongly disagree with two of his assertions because I've dealt firsthand with principled people before. His quote, Dr. Peterson's declared he'll not pay a fine and if imprisoned, blah, 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 he'll go on a hunger strike. And he thought that was going too far. Well, that argument reminds me of what everyone was saying when Mark Emery and I successfully fought Sunday shopping prohibition back in the before time there. Everyone insisted that no one would ever go to jail for opening their store on a Sunday. It was never going to happen. Then there was Mark Emery, who opened his store on principle, on a Sunday, <laughs> right, to defeat an unjust law, which we did. So been there, done that, no one else ever did. My second point of disagreement with, with Mr. Black is, quote, Dr. Peterson's approach is so inflexible and so righteous without using the powerful weapon of ridicule. He may not attract the full range of support he otherwise deserves, end quote. Well, if all Dr. Peterson did was use ridicule to make his point, I'll tell you, he would never have very much attracted our attention, nor would he have opened the door to an alternative to the madness. Ridicule and popular support are forever and always available to him, but with the unexpected millions of followers and supporters he's already reached online, I don't know how Black can argue that Peterson, quote, may not attract the full range of support, end quote, that he deserves. If anything, Peterson's determination to fight this injustice to the point of being willing to go on a hunger strike in jail is the evidence of his courage. And And as a matter of fact, going back to that Sunday shopping thing with Merrick Emery, remember, he was put in jail for not paying a fine for, get this, employing too many people on a Sunday. Employing too many people on a Sunday. He was fined. He refused. He went to jail. Yeah. His bank account was not garnished. He went to jail. Right. The fine was paid, but it was paid for by by his contributions. uh, Yes, by contributions, and he wouldn't he wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah. An inflexible approach by Peterson. That that term is incredibly out of context in this regard. We're not negotiating the price of a consumer purchase. (laughs) You know, if you're right, you're not flexible. To be flexible in matters of morality and justice is to be immoral and unjust. You're compromising with evil. Evil is always inflexible, and it does not negotiate. Wrong and evil though it is, evil remains principled and consistent and relentless, which is why it so often wins and why Dr. Peterson warns that no matter how bad you think it can possibly get, it could always get a lot worse. And trust me, it can always get worse. You can think of the worst thing in the world. It'll get worse. And this, this thinking will take it there. For those of our listeners who would like to experience a conversation very much like a just-right conversation, I heartily recommend that you check out the, the Joe Rogan Experience 877 with Jordan Peterson. Yes, it's nearly three hours long, worth every minute. Yep. You won't be bored. Definitely. 
And don't be surprised if we revisit portions of that exchange again sometime in the future. One last recommendation before we go for Murray and any others who really want to get right to the root of just how important definitions and language are as tools of cognition, not just of communication. And that's the book I've referred to before. It pr pretty well presents it to you on a silver platter, and that's Ayn Rand's Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. I think the title is almost longer than the book. <laughs> but uh, it originally ran around 100 pages, depending on the edition or print size you get. A second edition includes an appendix that's twice the thickness of the original book. But you'll be amazed by the number of doors that will open by simply grasping mankind's most incredible attribute conceptualization, and the power of the words that retain the meaning of our concepts. Quote, the truth or falsehood of all of man's conclusions, inferences, thought, and knowledge rests on the truth or falsehood of his definitions, insists Ayn Rand in italic emphasis. And that lesson should be a defining point somewhere along everyone's personal path to understanding themselves and the reality in which they exist. If you don't get past that point, you'll never reach the others. And speaking of points along our paths of existence, right now marks the ending point of our show's existence today. <laughs> so don't forget, join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bed clothes, everything will be... Out! 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 I'm telling you, if you don't pay your bill, I'll let you go mad! <laughs> Bloody loonies wasting my time with their stupid... Oh, good evening. <laughs> I was told to come in here. Quite you? right, too. You haven't been here before, have you? No. Fine. Uh, my name's Dr. Gilbert. How do you do? My name's Gibbon Posture. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, this is all right. Um, now, are you a bedwetter? Sorry? Uh, are you a bedwetter? Well, not since I was... Right, well, you sit on a chair, I'll lie on the couch. <laughs> You're safe and sorry? Now, um, are you under the impression that you're Kenneth Wollstonehome? Sorry? Do you think that you're Kenneth Wollstonehome? No, of course not. Good. Because I've got five of them already, and it's getting a bit, uh, bit tricky keeping their appointments apart, coming in here in their dirty Mac shouting irrelevant information. Why Kenneth Wollstonehome? That's what I want to know. Still, if you're around the twist. Now, um. <laughs> name. Gibbon Posture. <laughs> Possible. Looney. <laughs> now, um, I want you to, to tell me anything on your mind, any little problems. It doesn't matter how personal. Well, it's rather embarrassing to say, really. Mm -hmm. I don't like to tell people because I'm frightened of them laughing at me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know quite how to put it, but... Good sometimes Lord, I... is that the time? I'm sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> well, I was saying that now I've started to meet girls in the course of my business and at parties and socially, and, well, I... I don't like to tell come them on, somehow. Come well, it's it's not a thing you can tell people. Come please. on, come yes, on, spit it out. Well, Stop beating about the bush. Sometimes I think. Sometimes oh, I, I, I really I'll tell, tell you. Now five guineas an hour they won't tell I'm you. Not, what's the matter? Sorry. You come in here. You won't say what's up. It's all bloody mumble. I can't hear a word you say. You're all tensed up like all the other nuts who come in here. It's not much fun listening to you all time a loony dribble eight hours a day. You know, it's all bloody boring for one thing. Oh my God, it's so boring. So will you please tell? Me. Once and for all, in God's name, what's the matter with you? 
I think I'm a rabbit. <laughs> you stupid loony! Of course you're not a rabbit! I have yourself to get I am a rabbit! Look! Look, if you were a rabbit, you would have great long ears, wouldn't you? They dropped off when I came in! Look! You say you're a rabbit once more and I'll smash your face in! Now, what are you? I'm a... I'm a... I'm a... I'm a... I'm a dog! Right, that's better. Here's a burn. We'll take you from there next week. Oh. Oh.